Casualties of Worcester. Quentin, uh, how's it going? Uh, you know, not the best, but you know, I'm all right. Yeah, in, yeah. in, a, good enough, in a good enough mood to do a podcast. So we're here. There's a lot. There's a lot. There's a lot to talk about. So there's some good things to talk about. Might as well open it up. I did a guest spot. I recorded it a couple days ago, but I don't know when it'll come out here. Pretty soon. It was kind of funny because I was like, I should have done our podcast to talk about this big news. I'm going to be on a podcast called Heat Death of the Universe. It's a, kind of like a po- politics thing. It's a guy who lives in... Two guys who live in Korea, but they're uh, American nationals. Um, and just like politics, stuff like that. But we talked about wrestling and we talked about the good news. Like I said, positive news. Vince McMahon has retired. He's gone. That's a positive. Even if I don't think that necessarily it's going to get any better or that the people replacing him are better it's you know he, at least there's one down right at least he's out of there it's not, it's not a, that's it's a positive not, not a death, but we're, you know i'll take it yeah but that'll come that will come hopefully hopefully he gets severely disgraced uh first and then and then dies because uh, that would be great uh what is it uh, the uh, rest in piss, bozo. You won't be missed. Is that the <laughs> I think it is. Po- proper nomenclature <laughs> for this situation? Pretty yeah. Sure. Uh, yeah. Fuck that guy. Fuck him. Fuck the bullshit takes. I mean, it feels pretty, you know, pretty uh, overwrought. Or people have gotten to it now. But I, you know, I put it out there because I just wanted it out there. But the people who b- buy hook, line, and sinker, the fucking. Vince McMahon took wrestling from the dingy smoke-filled auditoriums oh. and made it into <laughs> this po- motherfuckers, man. Professional oh, wrestling. Fuck. Professional wrestling existed and was thri- like was thriving hundreds of years. Yeah, but also yeah. at the same time when WWF was inherited was was inherited by Vince, like 
territories existed that were drawing hundreds of thousands of people, like for their yes, big special events. Like, I, I, I he was just the first one to do it. Cool, man. Like, I, I got like, yeah. I, like cool. Like, if history if history goes any differently, then it's fucking Vern Vern or uh or uh or Fr- or Fritz von Erich that right. that we that we be, that we be talking about. And it's like, but it, but it didn't happen, and Vince was the one that did it first. Like, cool, but yeah. all this other stuff that we have to do in order to give Vince flowers. Well, first of all, fuck that. But second, in this <laughs> that we have to give Vince flowers, don't frame it as if it's anything other than he was just the first one who was able to get the idea rolling. It was either going to be him or Vern. Yeah, I mean, AWA already had national TV. They were on ESPN. And they were having national TV. That's that's the other thing that people don't even say. Because like you said, like, oh, he's the first one to have the idea. No, he ended up just being the most successful. Yes. But AWA had national TV even before Vince McMahon. It wasn't like he was the first person who was even smart enough to realize that. He, he, the real thing that came down to Vince was that he was the luckiest because his he was in the largest uh, media market. He was in New York City. To, that was his base. AWA being in fucking Minnesota and, like, the yeah. Midwest and... And Crockett and Turner being in the being in the South and well, preferably the Southeast. Yeah. Uh, all the, the Texas promotions, all that like it's they're in fucking, yeah, Portland, they're in fucking New York. They're, like like what? Yeah, that was it. They had the biggest media connections. They had basically they had the biggest media market to begin with. So it was going to be easier for them with the connections, with working through the media, getting not just publicity, but also, the, again, the, the giant fan base, the dense populated fan base, all that stuff to help build everything. Yeah, and again, like Crockett, it could have easily been Crockett. I mean, he had to do some really fucking underhanded shady bullshit buying Crockett's TV time slot out from underneath him, which caused a lot of issues there, you know what I mean? And then leading to WCW. There's like so many ways that like he just got super lucky, but even the just like... If you're a wrestling fan, you got to give it up to Vince McMahon. Well, no, you don't. No, I don't. Because if anything, Vince McMahon has hurt my wrestling fandom. Like we've we've cataloged we've cataloged this enough. I've talked about it enough. But to reiterate, I've never been a fan of Vince McMahon's product. I became a wrestling fan through watching WCW and Crockett NWA stuff like that. I've always prefer I always preferred that. And at the time that Vince McMahon became the sole, you know, promotion, WWE was the only promotion, I think there was maybe a three or four year period where I actually was like watching every show and that was all I could do and then I fucking dropped it. You know, I just couldn't handle it, couldn't continue watching it, it's not for me. So uh, there's no, oh, if you're a wrestling fan, you gotta give, you know, give it up to Vince, that's why you're a wrestling fan. No, not at all. There's plenty of people just like me. It's also completely revisionist too, to like, act like there wasn't, are we just gonna act like the whole section of fans that... Again, I wasn't there for this time, but it's well noted that when WWE won the war, that disappeared from wrestling. Like that happened. Yes. Like, like yeah. that. That happened. I don't know why we just have to act like that part didn't happen. Yeah. If anything, Vince McMahon has been a hindrance to professional wrestling. WWE has hurt wrestling in a lot of ways. In any way that you can think of it, really. They've hurt the prestige of professional wrestling as a whole. They've hurt the business of professional wrestling. They've hurt the industry, the, the people, the, the amount of people who could make money, the amount of people whose careers were negatively affected. Um, 
again the quality of the product the prestige again like yeah go back and watch some fucking gorgeous george era golden era stuff there's no fucking vince mcmahon there's packed you know opera theaters and everyone's wearing fucking suits this was not oh we, we got we can only sell these people nascar and stridex you know we can't these these are not no professional wrestling was mainstream popular with up scale people and then vince turned it into carnival bullshit that you could yeah, it like, was like that a, can't make any money off a of fucking fan like, it was like, like it was ads like Bro- it was like broadway or something like yeah it, like, it was like broadway people yeah. like, always talk about like going to plays and shit and then they don't actually know like how expensive like bro like like theater tickets are <laughs> yeah wrestling was a, a something that was held in major theaters was at the same level as tons of other forms of entertainment was not looked at not looked down at not looked at like carny bullshit and vince did it and that's he, the funniest part it. about it yeah. It's the funniest part about his fucking, like, his weird complex about looking down on professional wrestling and it's carny and gross and he doesn't like the term. Because he's the one who made the, most of the stigma for how bad people look at wrestling. Vince caused so much negative impact to wrestling that really, anyone who has a lot of negative feelings about wrestling, when people break down and start talking about all of the bad shit in the history of wrestling, a lot of it goes back to Vince. Yeah, like... A lot of a the terrible major- tragedies. Vast majority of yeah. it. A vast, vast majority of it. Like, obviously, like, other than Snooker, like, and what, and what Snooker did to his wife, like, the murders don't really go to go to WWE. Cool. Like, that's fine. Murder, murder, sure. murder murders aren't on, aren't on now. But everything else that we that we can go through and pin down and isolate all stem from a culture. In which Vince McMahon directly enabled, fostered, and wanted to be the image of professional wrestling from steroid culture to all the deaths that can be linked to or related to that. And like it's so it's him. I don't know why, like, I don't know why we're doing this, but at the same time, these are people that are secretly WWE stands in disguise as just, I don't know, uh, these general wrestling lovers they just love they just love wrestling and they're like no you like whatever this idea of professional wrestling that Vince McMahon presented to you and whatever this idea he presented he presented to you is like WWE and Vince McMahon specifically are such a great like encapsulation of American exceptionalism that it's almost kind of jarring you know WWE is what took wrestling to the next level WWE is what made wrestling legitimate and made it a household product when it's not true at all. But if they say it enough, if they presented it, if they presented that way enough, if they present Southern wrestling fans as dumb hicks who think that wrestling is real, and all this and all this other and all this other stuff, and Ted Turner and WCW didn't know what they were doing. We were the only we were the only ones that really understood this. We were innovative. We like if they say it enough, people that are in these positions are old enough that you think should know better based off the credit credentials that they try to present, they don't. They don't know better because once you say these things enough, once you push propaganda, enough there's propaganda there's propaganda 101, brainwashing 101, that when you put these things out there and say it enough over decades and decades at this point, people are going to start believing that that was the truth. And that's how you get people bowing to Vince McMahon when he comes out, despite sexual misconduct allegations coming out that he gets to come out on national television 
twice. You have, to, you have to do it twice and get bowed to, despite everything that was swirling in the headlines and mainstream news, because they believe that this McMahon is the wrestling god that did everything and created this wonderful world and landscape of wrestling that we get to enjoy and be in now. But that's not true. <laughs> I don't know, man. Well, it, the fucked up thing, like the Stephanie thing, and she comes out and she makes the crowd, you know, chant "Thank you, Vince," and the crowd gets into it and they do it. It's cringe enough, like telling the crowd to chant or whatever. But uh, like on top of that, like I saw people comparing it to the Benoit tribute episode, and oh, this is gonna look just as bad in you know in a week or two when more stuff comes it out and all this bad. and that. What the fuck? Funny. I'm almost like it already looks bad. Already number one, does. but number two. The Benoit tribute thing, like, I, you know, maybe this is just me, and maybe I shouldn't even say this, but doing a Benoit tribute is almost not as bad, because he's dead, and he can't do anything else. You know what I mean? Like, I understand that what he did was terrible, but he's gone. So you're kind of just, like, remembering him, and his legacy, and that's separate from Vince McMahon, who's still alive! (laughs) And can still do terrible things and hasn't repented and is still a monster and is still a piece of shit. Now, I mean, I was going to say he hasn't killed anybody, but I mean, you know, kind of. There's plenty of blood on his fucking yeah, hands, yeah, yeah, you know. <laughs> you can, so it's uh, just like, I don't know. I'm kind of like, man, if you just say like Benoit killed him, his, you know, his family himself, all this is very fucking terrible. But he's gone and he was a great wrestler we can remember his legacy that's like almost to me i'm like ah you know that sucks that they were saying that but again they weren't saying that about someone who's an active threat like vince mcmahon is still an active threat to society entirely clear that when the benoit stuff happened they no one knew anything like sure like that's based on what they say like they just heard like there was a tragedy at the benoit household yeah and details hadn't come out yet so by the time it happens it's not a big like Oh man, like everyone chant for Chris Benoit. It was an empty it was an empty arena. Show pretty much got canceled and they showed like Chris Benoit footage and matches. They did that for the whole hour they did that for the whole hour slot. Correct me if I'm mistaken, because I was a kid so when this happened. But that's but that's the episode, right? Right. So no one knew it. And like wrestlers talking about him, their memories yeah. of him and so, stuff like, like that. Well, yeah. That's all we got of Benoit at that at that point in time. Then the stuff then the details come out and Clearly, they walk it back. This Vince stuff is decades-old information that has happened and has been publicized and put in news over years in media, articles, magazines, whatever the fuck, court cases. This has all happened and is all findable and readable information. But we live in a culture where because Miss McMahon is kind of charismatic and funny and he's a wacky zany guy and wow he's in his 60s and he's so big and muscular like man what a, what a whack job like because he he gets to skate by off of that he gets to skate by off of this well he's just kind of a wild guy like what the fuck does that mean why does he just get to do that how come the how can the ring boy scandal owen hart what happened? What happened? To, what happened to Nancy Argentino and all these different things? Sexual assault, sexual misconduct, sexual harassment cases everywhere. The Candace Michelle. Yeah, yeah, what happened? What happened, what happened yeah. with her? Uh, covering up for Pat, Pat uh, covering up for Pat Patterson's behavior when it when it when it was no, when it was known and around. So many different things that are documented and in, in readable on some level. 
on some level is all there. And I think that's the thing that fucks with me the most is that people just don't give a fuck about this. They just don't. It's not that this is new information. It's existed for years upon years upon years. It's been there. It's been there. Even if you wanted to be someone that like analyzed the texture of like Vince's promos and segments on TV or storylines that he's been a part of or matches he's done, there's so much there that you could even pull from and be like, huh, that's really fucking weird. And maybe I should look into the, how, to how this guy is. But even beyond that, there's so much factual information, so many different stories, horror stories about what he's been like to deal with for women and people all across, all, all, all across the company's history. And it's the grossest thing in the world. It's the grossest fucking thing in the world to see WWE talk about Vince retiring as if all this doesn't exist, as if it's all over 14 million and some, embe- and some embezzled money. Which fucking sucks is power dynamics and the fact that he was doing that with uh, doing that with people over the over that over that span of time and uh mis and misusing power and doing all this stuff fucking sucks right, but there's so much that he has done that they get to act like this is just basic slap on the wrist shit. They get to act like this is just basic sexual misconduct. Oh uh, well, he had a he had an affair. Yeah, kidding. consensual. It was kidding. consensual. Are you fucking kidding me? Yeah. And that's okay to you. Like, people like, fuck, oh my god, like, Johnny Davis will sit there and say, oh, because he had an affair? And that, what yeah. is, what the fuck is wrong with you? What is wrong with you? How can you know all this information about Vince McMahon and the company that he has kept in WWE if we're not going to go with his sexism and misogyny and racism and everything that he has done what about the people that he has employed and that he's known about their behavior and did nothing about it like are we gonna sit there and not talk about the michael p.s hayes and pat patterson's of the world and all the and all the others that we can bring up his long his long his long time guys that have their own histories and baggages jerry lawler jr and we're just not gonna talk about it it's not just Vince. It's a whole fucking system and hierarchy that he was responsible for fostering and creating nothing but toxic workplace manipulative bullshit. But he gets to bow out that- gracefully somehow to, to, a, to a bunch of people. Granted, most of the media is like, damn, Vince is 14 million and trying to and cover ups. That's crazy. And they'll, and they'll talk about it. But to the wrestling world, it's like Vince gets, Vince just gets to bow out gracefully. Yeah, I you know I've heard that the a take that I think I kind of agreed with, which is that like, basically at this point with AEW existing and just with the way that they've presented their product for years, they've dr- they've really driven off any fans that aren't just like, one hundred percent stands of WWE. Like you don't get, you don't get WWE crowds that try to hijack shows anymore. <laughs> you know you don't get the crowds that that do their own thing. All they have left are the hardcores. They successfully, well, if you want air quotes, they successfully killed their audience. They they successfully killed them to the point where, like, oh, Austin Theory? Oh, cool, I guess. All right, fine. Whatever, we'll take it. Okay, cool, that's fine. (laughs) Yeah. No, it's it's ridiculous. (laughs) The level to which they've, uh, yeah, just completely... 
ran off anybody who's just a wrestling fan. Everyone is basically just like a, a WWE ultra who's just like completely stand up for WWE. That's all they care about. Um, yeah, it's just it's uh, it's psychotic. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. Like, I don't know what more. I mean, do you want to talk about like I guess the more? I the mean, more stuff coming out? there's the yeah. There's I mean, do you want you mean like all the other political stuff going around or what do you mean by that? Um. Okay. Do okay. Well, the fourteen million, I guess. Like, because if this, oh, the, like the so I guess that's the like. So it's like Go ahead. I guess there's a possibility that he's gonna be going to jail because that was embezzled money. I guess, but like. Yeah. I, I don't know. He won't. Yeah. Billionaires don't go to jail. Of course. You know. <laughs> they figure out a, they figure out something, and he'll have to pay it back, and penalties and all this, but yeah, he won't go to jail. Like, that's not how it works. Like, who, you know, I guess what, Martin Shkreli is on home ar- house arrest. Like, that's, that's what happens. Maybe he'll end up on house arrest, right? But he won't. Especially at 70. No, of course not. You know? Yeah, like how long was Cosby in actually in prison? You know, oh, it's like that kind of thing. Maybe like three years, maybe. Yeah, yeah, you know, and that was a lot, and that was someone who was not was no longer a billionaire, you know. Um, so yeah, it's just like, no, no, he won't actually go to jail for this. They'll figure out a way to, you know, get what they can. Whoops, kind of. Uh, we moved the money around wrong, or actually, no, it, it just looked like that. There was, mm, yeah, you know, this, that, or the other. You know, uh, so, Stephanie and Nick Khan are now co chair are now co chair people. Uh, yeah, co CEOs or yeah, whatever. Yeah, co CEOs. Well, I think well, well Stephanie's a chairwoman, and they and they, sh- and they share the CEO title. I think. And yes. Yes. Triple H. The. F- <laughs> He fucking did it. Had a creative. He fucking, yeah. He fucking, head of he fucking he, talent relations and yeah, head of creative. He won. Right. God damn, he fucking, yeah. he won. <laughs> yeah. Here's the thing with Triple H though. I've got there's two assumptions that people ma- are making that I say like you've got no grounds for making these assumptions. Number one is the people that I see saying like this isn't going to mean anything because Bruce Pritchard is still there. And he, you know, is into all the same stuff that Vince is into. And I just say, like, Bruce Pitchard is just into kissing ass. And he was Vince's yes man and always has been. Um, so, like, you know, Pritchard came up under uh, Bosch. Oh, God. Um, in, a, in the San Antonio yeah. uh, territory. And, uh, and like, stuff like... Um, Oh my god! <laughs> like all I can think of is the handsome half breed. What the fuck is uh, uh, ravishing and and uh, ramble? God, why can't I remember his name? Either way, like they did not, you know, they pushed uh the Guerreros. Um, they pushed uh, wow, I'm having a, a tough time remembering everyone's names right now. Jose Lothario, you know, they pushed. They did not push only gigantic, muscled up body guys in the territory that Pritchard came up in. So the idea that like that's what he's into. Because that's what he pushes for Vince means nothing. Bruce Pritchard is a brown noser and a suck up and a kiss ass, and he goes with whatever he thinks the boss wants to hear. So you can't say like, "Oh, that's his taste," because I don't know that that's his taste. Right. He's obviously respects his own brother, and his brother was not a big guy, and his brother was a fantastic professional wrestler. Like he, there has to be some level of appreciation of good pro wrestling, right? 
uh, Dr. Tom is fucking fantastic, like a phenomenal worker. So like, and was not like a giant jacked up muscle guy. Good physique and all this, not small, but still. And then the body Donna's with his brother and, and Chris Candido, who's a great wrestler who was small, you know, like I'm sure he has some respect for that, you know, like that's his own brother. And he's only, I've only ever heard him say positive things. So I just think his personal taste in wrestling, you don't have any fucking clue what that is if he's not underneath Vince. So it's weird that I hear people saying that. And then the second one is the same thing, but about Hunter. You, I don't know that we can say that even when Triple H was in complete control of NXT, black and yellow, that that was necessarily what he would choose to push and create. Because you have to also keep in mind that he did not have the main roster. He had the developmental talent so he pushed based on what he had so you can't say like oh that means that like that those are definitely the guys that he would push you i want to see that like maybe he would but at the same time it's kind of like you make do with what you have right and you, and you do what you're trying to do which he was trying to create something to compete with ring of honor and he was pushing the people who were going to be the best at that kind of style and, and mix it with wwe so that's those are the assumptions i see people making and i just say you have no grounds for these assumptions because you you know we, they, we haven't seen it i haven't seen that triple h actually liked even really preferred i'll say what he was doing in nxt to what he you know could do in the main roster so we'll have to see what we end up with there because triple h is a weird one like yes he's obsessed with wrestling yes you know he loves you know harley race rick flair all of that but he's also was a bodybuilder guy and he also was a roid guy and he was also obsessed with like the muscle and fitness stuff and trained by killer kowalski big you know big guys big muscle guys like so i don't know what his taste what he actually thinks when he has free reign like what he's going to you know put preference on uh, but yes, as you said, somehow, some way, after everything, Triple H ends up in this position, uh, in, and he's got the keys to the kingdom finally after years of speculation, and so much so that people even gave up and thought it wasn't ever going to happen. Yeah, it looked like it looked like it looked like it wasn't going to happen at, the, at that point. Like it looked like effectively that uh, whether you want to say it was Vince getting him out of here because of the failed uh, AEW versus NXT stuff, or whether it was Nick Khan, whatever, whatever it was, they, he was out of here. It looked like that. It looked like it was done, and uh, <laughs> for as great as it is to Matt to Matt to see Vince possibly go out disgraced and uh and 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 die uh and die a joke uh yeah the fact that Triple H has now <laughs> uh, leveraged this into his wife being the person in charge and him getting to run creative like. Yes, yeah, just wow on some level. Um, Crazy year. <laughs> so, do you are you expecting changes in terms of like? So we saw over the past couple years after the failed run versus AEW that Vince and Nick Khan viewed that as okay, whatever they can have that. This is dumb. We're gonna go back to hiring former athletes nil deals. All this type, all this type of stuff. Still signing an indie talent, still signing indie talent here and there, but not in the same talent hoarding way in which they were before. All the, all the cuts. Now that this has changed, Nikon's still there. Uh, Triple H is the head of creative and talent relations. Are you expecting a return to that same hiring process and philosophy, or are you thinking that? Nick Khan is going to be reining him in. 
again, I think, like I said, it goes back to that I don't know that that was necessarily, like, what Triple H's preference would be anyways. I don't even know if if it would ne- have to be Nick Khan reining him in, or if it's more like, well, now, like, I'm not... He's not trying to compete with ROH and then AEW. He's not trying to, f- you know, fit that niche. He's just trying even, to do main anymore. product WWE. Like, NXT yeah. was... Let me prove that I can do something. And well, NXT even 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 beyond just Triple H proving that he could like run the show, it was also directly meant to be competition for the indies. Like that's the thing no, that no, I think I, people I, maybe forget or overlook. No, yeah, course, but you know what no, I mean. Of course, I'm saying that like it hasn't, it hasn't always been said that that mode of operation came from Triple H. Like what that wasn't a Vince idea. Like Vince could like Vince right. like Vince wasn't looking at that like I'm gonna kill it. Like granted, he killed the territories. But at this but at this point in Vince but at that point in Vince's life, I don't think Vince was looking at New Japan and Ring of Honor like, hmm, they're doing a little too much over there. I'm I, I personally, Vince McMahon, want to go snuff out PWG, Ring of Honor, and New Japan. That to me, yeah, I think unless you think that was the case, like, I don't know. No, I think I think it was Triple H saw Florida Championship Wrestling said, you know, this is not being run like a professional job, which it wasn't. OVW even before that. DSW before that. Like, all that stuff was, like, you know, when they kind of consolidated Heartland Wrestling, you know, all that. Like, when they consolidated all of the little uh, developmental territories into FCW, that was the first step saying, like, okay, we're going to, like, rein this in a little bit. Things are going to be a little bit more professional. We're going to have one place. We're going to have one boss. Dusty's going to be in charge. It's going to be, again, like I said, professional. And it was, like... They got some talent out of there, but they weren't getting great. And it, then you look at it, you go, this is a weird, like, kind of situation here. This is not being run super well. Let's turn this into, like, a top-level facility so that we can be, like, a respectable, you know, looks come across like a respectable sport, basically. Like, thinking about it like that. Like, like when you have, like, minor league baseball, minor league football, you know, that kind of stuff where it's like, okay, they, you know, they have the high-end stuff, the training facilities, they've got the combines, they've got all that stuff where they're really doing it. That's what we're going to put together, something like that. And so, okay, Triple H is going to head that up to show, you know, because this is the investment in the future and that's going to be like, it's, oh, it's so important. And they, yeah, it's true. You know, they, they you know, early development has been proven across the board to be better. You end up like getting a lot more paid off dividends to, Work on the development, and then you know what you, what you reap from that later. It's just basic fucking capitalism, yeah. basically. Invest and then get something out of it. So okay, that's what he's gonna do. Then it's like yeah, then it turns into okay. Well, this is your chance to prove that you can run a wrestling company, kind of. So then it was, all right. Well, where's the market that 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 exists? Okay, well these indies are getting hot. That's a section of the market that we're not tapped into. They're piggybacking off of us even and making money that should be ours because Vince really likes that idea that like over WrestleMania weekend, these indie companies that are piggybacking off of our shows shouldn't be allowed to make money that should be ours. So then it's okay, let's let's take that over. And I think that that's it was a natural progression where it made sense. So I don't think Vince said like, oh, I want to kill those things. But I think he did kind of think like, well, they're making my money. And then, but he wouldn't have really put a bunch of effort into it. So it was Triple H saying, okay, this is a good way for me to prove I can run a wrestling company. It's a market that Vince will buy into to say, hey, let's, let's eat up the, the competition, like the money that these people are making. Let's suck it up. 
by having something that competes with them. So that's why Triple H goes, okay, well, how do I compete with them? Well, first I got to, you know, the same thing that Vince did, how he killed the territory. Mm-hmm. I buy up their talent. I bring them in. I start presenting a product that looks and feels like what, you know, what they are doing and then slowly indoctrinated into what, you know, what we do. And that I it was the same thing with NXT. I remember talking about it. Like I said, I, the time where it really stood out to me was Aleister Black. When he became the champion and he was coming out to the ring and he had all the stuff and he was doing the whole thing. And I looked at it and I said, this is not trying to be an indie company anymore. This is just WWE. This is just transitioned from like we're running something that looks like ROH or PWG into this is just another WWE show. And when, when I saw it, you know, it was obviously then someone like told me at that time, even they're like, well, what, what the fuck did you think of Prince Devitt? He was doing the same thing. And it's like, yeah, but I was, you know, I was the frog in the pot. I was being boiled and I didn't realize it. But when I, one day I looked at Aleister Black's whole thing and I was like, this is just fucking WWE. This is just raw. This is not indie wrestling. This is not a, an approximation of indie wrestling anymore. And that was the point. They bought up all the talent. They took everything over. And then they slowly but surely, like the frog in the pot, they turned up the heat until eventually it was just like another WWE show. Um, and I think that that was the idea from the beginning. So I think Vince was in on it because even before NXT existed, like I said, there was a, there was the talk of Vince saying that. Like, I don't think that these shows should be able to run in the same town as me over WrestleMania weekend. Right. They're taking, they're stealing money that should right. be ours. I, th- I think, that, I think so, he was aware of that kind of thing. I think that that yeah. kind of thing bothered him. But in terms of like, I don't know, like having a whole like plan that way. That's why I'm like, okay, that was a Triple H thing. But I get what I get what you're saying. Like, I, I, he was definitely aware of the of the of the uh, of the tailgate that was happening. Yeah, and I think that that's why Triple H like exploited that situation to get him to like say like, yeah, you should try to kill them. Mm. You should try to stop them from stealing my money because they're taking my money. Because that's the thing about all the stuff we said earlier with Vince thinking that he's you know pro wrestling and people thinking Vince is pro wrestling. It's because he thinks he's pro wrestling. So. If anyone's making money off of pro wrestling, it's, they're it's making money better, off of Vince better, McMahon. Better goddamn be me. Yeah, because he thinks anybody who's you know running a pro wrestling show, they're actually stealing the idea from him because he invented it. You know, even though even though I hate, even though I hate pro wrestling, but come, come on, guys, like, yeah. wrestling's mine. Even though I hate it and I don't want to call it yeah. wrestling. <laughs> Uh, he's one of those weird like Madonna whore guys where I think he likes to think he's above wrestling, but he loves to muck it up in wrestling he's the carniest motherfucker and he loves surrounding himself with like gross skeevy shitty carny people right and ha- like you were talking about his inner circle are some of the grossest motherfuckers in the world like how's he gonna look Jeremy down on ro- pro wrestling for being low class like, like yes he's still employed that's insane <laughs> like, fu- he loves he's that like shit man pro wrestling carl malone and he's still employed <laughs> jesus christ like, oh my god yeah yeah <laughs> he's like, no, he like, is. How the fuck he is, is he still employed? It's like the like the same the same time every see like every time I see Carmelo's name is like we could we could just not have him there. Like you you you, you could just not you could just not have him on the list. It's fine. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Oh goddamn. Yeah, it's fucking brutal. Um, is there any more WWE kind of stuff you want to talk about? Uh, I don't. I don't fucking care. This is, I'm not gonna watch it anyway. Uh, yeah, I don't. I don't. Anyway, um, I, 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 yeah, I, I that's am, that's the one I thing. I'm really oh, interested okay. to see like what ha- like. So how much? I really am curious. Like after they just did a whole facelift of NXT and they just completely butchered what it used to be. Like now that Triple H is back, is he gonna be like like I, like I know that you said oh maybe that maybe that's not what he was in, what he was into in the first place, but that part of me just wonders like. 
he did watch his baby get butchered. And granted, that was his baby just because yeah. that's what he was given. But still, right, right. it's like... I'll, it's hard to not take some ownership, yeah. Yeah, so I'm, I'm, I really am curious on, like, how things, like, hiring process-wise, everything's going to change. Like... I don't know if the, I don't know if the TV fourteen thing was still happening or if they got next completely, uh, whatever. Is like, I'm 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 really fascinated to see like if there's any pivots because as, even though Triple H is the guy that ha- hired Austin Theory or was part of hiring Austin Theory, like I can't imagine he's looking at this and like thinking that this is the best shit. Like this is like <laughs> like I don't know, man. Yeah. The, the, like, well, I would. Oh, I'll say the Vince the Vince theory thing is giving very is giving very much Vince and Sean. Yeah, oh yeah. Um, I'll say this: what I predict is that we see a subtle shift in kind of more open to bringing in indie talent guys again. I don't think it'll go as crazy as it did. I don't think that there's going to be a direct, like you know, trying to steal talent from. AEW hoarding talent kind of thing anymore. I don't think that that'll happen. Um, but I do think, yeah, I think that you'll see a little bit more better. Like, the indie wrestlers who are good will get a little bit more push. I think some of the guys... I honestly think some of the guys who got cut recently who are still available will get... They'll try to get them back in or they will bring them back in. The number one on my list that I, I for some reason, just really see is Zachary Wentz. I just think Triple H has liked him and is going to want to bring him back. Um... Which I just, I don't know why, but that's the guy that sticks in my head for some reason. Uh, like, those kind of guys, obviously. Maybe an Anthony Henry, who's someone we can talk about here in well, a Gar- bit like, as well. Um, Gargano? Like, now that Triple H is back. Yeah, I mean. Now, now it's like, yeah. would Gargano, now that his guy, or ostensibly his guy, is in charge, would Gargano see that? And be like, hmm, like, maybe that would be the place for me to go. Right. I think, yeah, I think Gargano comes back. I think Bray Wyatt probably comes back. You know, that's not an NXT thing, but I think in general. Um, you think this means anything, I, yeah, you, I just you think think, this means anything for when Cody comes back? That's a tough one. I mean, I don't know that they have any real heat. Obviously, they were connected at the hip at times just, in the past yeah, just, when Cody was coming yeah, up. Just, just a thought. Like, I, w- I would wonder if, like, if this, effect, if this affects Cody at all. Coming, coming back, like I don't think I, so. I, probably not, but just think, but just thinking it, like is Triple H? Yeah, is Triple yeah. H gonna look looking at Seth Rollins' character right now, what he's been for the last couple of years, and like, all right, Seth, like, come on, time to go back. Like, what do you like? This, this is this has been fun, but we need we need you back to being the architect now and everything. Right. Yeah, I, I, I think, yeah, I think we see some subtle shifts, but not a lot. Mm-hmm. And I think, yeah, I think I think that Triple H will not be insanely involved in NXT, honestly. Right. I don't think, like like you said, like, oh, they, they massacred his boy or whatever. But I just think, uh, I think, again, it'll be a little bit more of a hybrid between what we have now and what we had at the heyday, the peak of NXT. The toughest part about that is that there is just not that level of talent out there anymore for them to bring in. You know what I mean? Like, the, when they were, when they did signs, like, Generico, Pac. Sting, or Sting, Steen, um, you know, the Cesaro, like, being able to hire those level of guys who are all insanely talented, they don't really have that anymore that they can bring in. But they do got, like, Trevor Lee, that's the one that stands out to me, right? Trevor Lee, like, 
I'd love to see him actually get to show off what he can do. And it's more likely to happen in a, you know, Triple H run world than it is in this world. So, you know, that's, that's kind of the thing. Um, there was something that crossed my mind um, that I wanted to bring up more in context of ROH. But I think it fits in context of, uh, of NXT as well. Which is that, like, the issue now that we got is we've got these creative teams and they're looking for people who can actually, like, run... <laughs> or we've got these wrestling shows and they're looking for people who can actually run wrestling shows creative-wise. Mm-hmm. And there's not a lot of people out there. Um, could see Gabe possibly getting his job back at NXT po- and being very m- more involved. But one person, and I thought about this especially because, you know, Simon Handwork, Handwork Reviews year-end list... Um, that like in the last decade, there was one person who proved to be able to book weekly television actually well, and there's not a lot of other people who were able to book a good weekly television show. And like, I was just thinking, like I said, ROH, if ROH, if they need a creative person involved to actually write the TV, there's not like a ton of people who could book. like Stutz, Brad Stutz is a guy that like, I maybe he's not on like the big boys radar but honestly who else has the track record of actually having booked in the past decade a wrestling show that was like actually good like weekly wrestling tv that was always really good there's not anybody else really so I was just thinking about that I'm like you know there's Dylan I guess like maybe you could get hire Dylan Hales but like those two are like the only people who have any kind of track record of being proven to be able to pull that stuff off and it's like, would would Tony know that? You would think that Tony Khan would have an idea of that. And if he's looking for someone to run an ROH TV show, like, I don't know. Like, is that crazy thing to even bring up? If, if I'm thinking of, I think the most likely thing is game, for sure. Like, in terms of consolidating power. Sure. And I do, I, I really do wonder and think that he's going to want NXT to be good again. I do, as long as NXT is on TV. Like, that shit's still on TV, man. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Like, you gotta at least want that shit to be presentable. And I think that I I wouldn't be surprised to see Gabe slide in and get get, get more power. Yeah, yeah. For sure. I think that that's the, like, very likely thing. Regal? But like I said. Regal's looks like he's enjoying himself in AEW, but if Triple H came calling, you don't, do I think that Regal wouldn't just go back to WWE? Like, I don't I think he probably would. I mean, yeah. That's the only reason why he left, you know? That's the only reason why he left is because Triple H was gone. So, yeah, definitely. Definitely. But again, like, Regal, I don't know. I don't know really what he was doing, but does he have... Is there proof that Regal was, you know, booking a wrestling show? Like, actually doing wrestling TV and doing it well? No, I don't know. I think he was just a personality. I don't think he ever had any action. He, he I think he was at the meeting. He's part of the inner circle. Part of the meeting's inner circle. You know, he was more like, yeah. a, like, like a face. Yeah. So I just, you know, again, I just, I wonder about that. And like I said, like, if you look at the past, last, you know, 10 years, there's only, like I said, CWF Mid-Atlantic was like the best weekly TV show that's been produced in the past like 10 years. And like, nobody else really can say that they were booking a show that good. Um, so it's like, it's odd to me. I understand there's all the stuff that happened with him and all this and that, but like, yeah, it's just, it's odd to me that, uh, that they wouldn't, people wouldn't have, like, taken notice of that. Like I said, especially Tony Khan, like, you know, he's plugged in enough that you think he would be aware. Yeah, that's, 
that's very that's very possible so like i don't know so is that is that the most interesting thing to you like the delegation of power now that he's back in or somewhat yeah and like i said we've got roh too the idea that roh is going to need tv and like you, i just don't think tony khan can run everything um but it sounds like he's got his system of people that like kind of work he works through agents and all this and that but i just feel like it would be really smart for him to be a lot more hands-off with roh like a similar thing like i said with triple h and nxt mm. like i think if you're gonna have these two bigger brands with sub brands underneath them i think that the best thing you can really do is have like separate creative teams so the stuff actually feels different we saw the same thing when there was like raw and smackdown and how everything just feels the same when it's all being written and run by the same people i don't, I don't really have much more to add there but i do have a question if we're gonna if we're gonna segue um yes i feel like we should well since it opened the show i feel like it's we, we should talk we can talk, we can talk about gresham now right yeah i was gonna say um let's uh have you been following G One at all? I have. I've seen. I've seen some matches. Um, Zach versus Kenta kicked ass, and Ishii yeah. versus Jay was great as always. But sure, the yeah, roster yeah. is so fucking like even the people that have been put in here to give some life to it. I think they have done well. Like I thought Shingo. I thought the Shingo and Jonah interactions were were pretty were pretty good. Uh, Tom Waller. Shingo and Yoshihashi was good. No, Shingo and Yoshi. They've had a couple of really, really good matches, actually. Yeah. Uh, Tom Waller. He's a good infusion of personality, but I'm not sure that's actually led to matches that I really like that much. But He hasn't even had a G1 match yet. Yeah, that's, the, that's the tough part with yeah. him. Yeah. <laughs> so, I don't know. Well, like, that, those are my, those are like, the, like, those couple are my, are my standouts so far. Jay versus Ishii and uh, Zach versus Kenta. And then. I have, I guess Naito wins G1. I don't fucking know. But, like, it's just so stale. He better not. And I don't think he can. I mean, he lost two in a row, the opening two. I don't know. Maybe he can still. But, Tim, it happens. Okada went 0 for 2. Sure. And went on. And it happens. Yeah, but that was a different setup. This is like they've only got six matches. Uh, True. 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 Uh, Yeah. I don't know. So, because now, like, okay, so, uh, Tanahashi's up, like, uh, and he's got the tiebreaker on Naito. So, like, Tanahashi would have to lose. He'd have to have a losing record to have Naito beat him. In the th- So, yeah, I, whatever. Um, you know, that's not the point of the, what you're saying. We're just kind of giving big picture. And no, there's, like, so it's impossible to even break this stuff down and look at points and, and brackets and everything. Because, like I said, Tom Lawler hasn't even had a fucking match in the G1 yet. Um, and he won't still for, like, until next week. Um the t- okay, takeaway for me, Aaron Hanare. They are clearly serious about this guy. Like, beats Tanahashi in his first match. He's picking up wins on the tags using his moves, even in matches where he's in there with like Will um, and and uh, and the tag team champions like uh, fucking um, Khan and Cobb and stuff. Like he's on teams with them, but he's still the one getting the wins. Um, they're trying to get over his moves and make him look tough. He beat Tanahashi. So I think that they're very interested in him. And here's the one that I, you know, put this out there too. But, like, so far at this point, the MVP of the, the fucking thing has been Taichi. Like, because he's one of the few people who's had two matches and he's had two good matches. <laughs> so he had the Ishii match and the Sonata match. And, like, having a decent match with Sonata is pretty impressive. So, like, 
that's where we're at right now with this G1. So again, that is not saying that like, oh my God, Taichi's great. What I'm saying is, this has not been a great G1. <laughs> like this is not uh, not a phenomenal show so far. Um, when like we're kind of scraping the bottom of the barrel, where Taichi like again, I actually have started to like him more than I used to. I think he's actually a pretty interesting wrestler, but uh, he's having the best matches <laughs> or is the MVP so far. Um, no, I love the Lawler and, and Royce Isaacs tag team, even if, like you said, like they're, what, are they doing much? Not really, but they're definitely showing off and having a lot of personality. And they're having good matches, but they, they haven't done anything. And Lawler hasn't even had a tournament match yet. So still still up in the air. But uh, that was it. I just wanted to uh, see how you've been, what you've been thinking. Um, uh, at this point, it's just like... No matter what they do, like, there's just so the roster is so it's, it's great wrestlers, but the it's, everything about it is so stale and weird right now that yeah. every, every time we talk about it, it's just like okay, well, I like the match, I'm not interested in it, I'm interested in the outcome or whatever they have going plans going forward, but I like the match, and that's all that's yeah. all I really leave with. Like I like Jay White's back in Japan and being great. Like I'm happy about that. <laughs> yeah, that promo, the promo. Yeah, <laughs> when he did the promo in Japanese, that was great. Um, yeah. And yeah, I mean, part of it too is this format is like all the, remember, I, I think I just recently did the like talk about explaining why tournaments are the best natural storytelling way to like make a wrestling feel like it matters. Uh, but this bracketing and the way that the format of this is set up, it makes it like impossible to like kind of, uh, you know, kind of, uh, uh, get the most out of a tournament setting because everything is so spread out and so weird and people wrestle are wrestling so infrequently that you're not seeing the natural progression of the story as it should be told in a tournament fashion. So yeah. Yeah, that stinks. Um otherwise, yeah, let's uh let's get into Ring of Honor. Uh I'm gonna guess from you saying that it opened the show that you did not watch the Zero Hour. Um No, no, I did not. I am very, very disappointed. Oh, Willow Will, Will was on it, right? Yes. Okay. Willow was I on saw, it. Anthony Henry I, I was saw on the it. Pop that Willow got. Uh, but yeah, no, did not, did not see that. Uh, if you have uh, thoughts, then go ahead. But you know. <laughs> okay, Cabana is just as good as last ROH pay per view, which I think I was pretty, I was pretty positive on him. I let everyone know that yeah, he's he's, um, aged, he's, he's, he's he's aged very gracefully. Yeah, and he's not as overexposed as he was at the peak of the like whole thing, and especially on the indies. Yeah. And uh, Cabana was like the pre meme wrestler, like even in the fact that like he was doing all that stuff before, years and years before. But also like him getting around, having a name, getting booked everywhere, kind of led to more. I think in in kind of more places thinking like, oh, we can kind of have someone who does the Colt Cabana thing, who's like a local guy, and then just like doing a bunch of memes and comedy wrestling and really missing the point, which is when it comes down to it, like Cabana is funny and has a lot of personality, but he's also a legitimate professional wrestler. We've talked about it. He's got a great athletic build, even if it's like kind of a throwback to big barrel chested, you know, strong men of the past. Um, He can really fucking go, which I think is overlooked. Like he is a natural athlete who can do insane stuff for a guy his size um and really you don't see a lot of colt cabana botches you know especially when he does like to do a bunch of intricate weird bullshit um and he's in here with anthony henry who for my money anthony henry might be the best best wrestler on the fucking planet right now like it's crazy yeah, how good he that's, is that's, that's a very that's a really real argument for that 
Yeah, um, he is in s- hitting his stride. He just tweeted out today that, like, the idea of him retiring is now off the table, which is fucking great, um, because he's so good right now. Uh, everything he does is phenomenal. This was a really good match, so that's why I say definitely check it out. Truthbusters versus, uh, you know, Shinobi Sato Squad, Cheeseburger, and Eli Isom. Fine. Trustbusters is Arya Davari and uh, Slim J. Um, Trustbusters is a weird name for this. I don't know why they picked it. I guess maybe just because it's got busters in it, right? So it's like a like a wrestling thing, like Brain Buster, whatever. Um, and it's like kind of related to money, but it doesn't make sense in the context because it's supposed to be that Ari Davari like got a bunch of money and now he's rich. And trust busting was like was like an anti anti monopoly <laughs> legislation is what trust busting means. So it doesn't make sense, but whatever. Um, and then Embassy, which is uh, Tully Blanchard Enterprises, purchased by Prince Nana, taking on um, the GCW mid-card, uh, upper mid-card uh, team of Alex Zane, Christian Blake, and Tony Deppen. Um, and in this match, what really stood out to me, the match was, was good. I like the Embassy team. Um, Khan is, obviously, I've talked about him in the past. I think he's very good. Toa Leoa fits in really well. Brian Cage is Brian Cage, and in a setting like this, he's fine enough. But this was the match for me that, like, set the tone for the night, which is that, uh, you know, love to, um, Uncharted Territory, kind of watching into the background even. Love Dylan Hales, think he's great commentator. Ian Riccoboni might be the best play-by-play guy. Um, like, him and Dylan are neck and neck. Dylan is fantastic, obviously. But Ian Riccoboni is really fucking good. And it, it play. I noticed it in this trios match because from the opening, he's hitting. We've got a trios tag team title match tonight. We've got, you know, the, the boys versus uh, the righteous. And, you know, this place. And that's just really hitting you over the head like, okay, the embassy clearly being positioned as challengers and going to be a big part of this trios division. Connecting that back to this isn't just a random, you know, trios match. And then telling, like, in the in the middle of the match, uh, Blake is on the apron, and someone goes for a cheap shot to him, and he drops down, comes back up, shakes his finger, and uh, Ian Riccoboni goes, Blake is hasn't tagged in yet. Blake is the most fresh man in this match. If they can get the tag, um, you know, to Blake, he's, he's the most fresh person in this entire match. He hasn't wrestled at all, like, you know, whatever. And then, like, a few seconds later, they get the tag. So he set that up perfectly helped really tell the story and it all came off of like really natural little spot that happened in the match and he was just right on it perfectly hit it he's got all the details in the background constantly hitting the stats really feels like he cares and knows about what he's talking about but then also like i just pointed out like really adds in the color detail and the background like ian riccoboni phenomenal commentator like phenomenal play-by-play man like really good right like i don't know what, how you feel about ian but damn he was good on the no, show I, love ian. I think ian, i think ian's awesome like that when our when the when the future of roh was in flux i think one of the main things we were saying is like ian needs a job like yeah. he's way too good and he's gotten way too good to uh to not to not be employed anywhere like the fact that kevin kelly is so long tenured in these places and ian looked like it might have been it for him at one point like that was just disappointing as as fuck to see 
Yeah, no, definitely. So yeah, and then yeah, Willow Nightingale and, and Allison Kay. Uh, it was good. The pop for Willow was crazy. Willow is fucking nuts. Like so over. Uh, they got to do something with her, and uh, and really, I mean, I think they should do more with her than just have her be the R the face of ROH, like you know the women's division. Honestly, she should probably be in AEW's women's division, like pushed at the top or upper top level. Like I know that they just signed a you know WWE women and all this, but like. Willow is insanely over and naturally over, you know? So, uh, you know. So now, main show, Jonathan Gresham. <laughs> you said it. We got to talk about him. From the from the second he comes out, you could tell something's up. And there had been rumors and things swirling. I think we can say that now. There were, right? there were interviews you know? coming out. Like, yeah, there was the interview that, that came yeah, out. Like, plenty of excerpts. There was from DMs. DMs, like, from yeah. both Jordan and gresham yeah so there was definitely rumbling that gresham was not in a good mood um like i said i think we can say it now because everybody knows cat's out of the bag but even before the match was coming up it was uh what the fuck is going on and then gresham comes out and he comes to the ring and there's no octopus mask there's no flag there's no jacket no pomp and circumstance he later said that he wanted to come out clear-eyed and just be himself and be able to just experience the moment as himself that's why he did that Uh (laughs) and that it because it might be his last match so he didn't want any of that other stuff you know getting in the way uh i think he was pitching a little bit of a fit but uh yeah what do you uh, think wouldn't be new for jonathan gresham let's just be clear about that uh yeah because i like gresham and as much as i also hate the idea of putting a label on a black wrestler like that uh, being quote unquote difficult to work with this is not a new thing for Jonathan Gresham there is a reason why he's burned certain bridges Mm -hmm. a couple a few times over in different in different places yeah there's a reason why he doesn't uh, yeah he doesn't never got booked in a lot of places kind of you know got a certain level of like booking and push in England because of the way that they would treat him um, because, you know, he's a big star from America that everyone looked up to, right? Instead of, <laughs> instead of how he gets treated here. Okay. Um, actually, yeah. actually, so, <laughs> I actually think part of it is a fair conversation to have, right? So, sure. let's say that part of what Gresham was going to lose the belt, was happy about losing the belt, uh, put in so much work, was the face of ROH at this point in time. And to just lose the belt to a guy that's freshly freshly released from WWE can feel like a slap in the face. So let's validate those feelings in that part first. Yeah. Yeah. Jordan said something, and people can laugh at it and think of it as a joke, but I do think that there's merit there and something that I think matters and is worth discussing. Like, and it's going to sound kind of crazy and dumb to people, but... I don't think she was totally off base by talking about the body shaming thing and how come that doesn't apply to Gresham? How come that doesn't apply to someone as talented as Jonathan Gresham? But okay, I, I, I think it's a, I think it's a I think it's a fair thing to say. I think it's like it is it, it, it is. So I think it's a, Go ahead. So I think it's a fair thing to say. And out of everything that's happened, I think it's at least worth somewhat of a discussion. Now, granted, like it's not the big thing because I think if, the, if this is Jonathan Gresham's last match ever or something, that is way bigger news and really and really disappointing. 
I think talking about what Jonathan Gresham's future can be in wrestling. If Tony Khan is wrong for not seeing more in Jonathan Gresham, like these are bigger discussions that we'll have. But starting off, I don't think she was totally off base or wrong by saying something like that. And how come when we have these body shaming discussions, it only applies to like physiques and weight and body fat but it doesn't apply to someone like Jonathan Gresham who's put in his who's put in his a thousand hours learning the craft of wrestling. And the only thing that you could possibly say negatively about him, if you're not talking about attitude or professionalism, is his height. So I'll start out with the first thing, because as soon as I was seeing that from Jordan, I was really hunting for this and I could not find it, which was um do you remember when Johnny Mundo, Johnny the World, got and Taya Valkyrie got into a little bit of a fight with Austin Aries online over him calling her Husky? Yes. And uh, and him returning saying, like, oh, yeah, you're allowed to body shame me for being short and everyone constantly talk. It's kind of it feels like the same thing. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I get it. Um, but but the, but but, it, but like is, but I, I get, Jordan didn't say anything that didn't say anything to anybody though. That's they didn't do that. Right. Like this, like this is yeah. right. They didn't start it. Yes. This yeah. Is purely just her saying, we support Eddie Kingston. We support Deanna Peraza or whoever else has like faced this kind of thing, but no one does the same thing for Gresham. That like like if that like, if it was a different thing where he again called someone husky or some shit, and then said that yeah. well you guys don't say anything when I'm short, then yeah we we'd be having a different conversation. But that's not what happened. No, I know. I'm just saying it's that same thing where it's it, unfortunately it's hard to take it seriously because the worst man in the world tried yeah, to make the same totally. point relatively recently. Totally. Um, but like again, no, it's I mean it's fair to say, but you know, the short man complex and the Napoleon know, complex I, is kind of a thing. I know, but it's like and I think it's I do think it's like in societally, I do think it's kind of weird how like. Yeah, that happens. Though. Yeah, and it's like, like like we and it's fucking bullshit. Like, like that's a real thing yeah. that happens societally, and like I don't know. Like it's just interesting to see everyone be put be so quick to laugh at it. And like if you're laughing at it because Jordan Grace wore a fucking watermelon two piece, and the nature of Gresham and Jordan's relationship is kind of questionable. If you want to look at yes. that, okay, fine, cool, I'm with you there. But I think the point itself. Is at least is at least worth discussing, right? And no, it is. It and it's true. I mean, the people who have anything negative to say about Grisham, half the time it is like, how much is this shit being colored by that? Exactly that. That he's short and you can't take him seriously because you can't overlook something about his physical stature that he can't fucking help. And it is what it is because Grisham wrestles perfectly for his body grisham's an amazing wrestler you can't say that grisham doesn't have personality or charisma because he does it's all the same shit that we've said about daniel bryan over the years you can you can literally say about grisham especially when it comes to the size stuff um and that's a great comparison but then you do have you look at brian danielson daniel bryan his career trajectory and the roadblocks and the things that got in his way and how he dealt with them comparatively and the worst part about it is that it's the it's the 100 percent the example of you know what they say like the talk right you know when the parents have to sit down the young black boy or the young black girl and explain to them that like everything that you see white people do you have to do it 10 times you have to do 10 times better 
to be able to even get one times one percent of what they get um and it's kind of the same thing so it's like yeah grisham all the same shit that people have ever said about daniel bryan and the way that he dealt with it like the only way that grisham would be able to overcome is is to have to be 10 times as fucking like doggedly you know keep your head down work hard don't say anything to get through there and he shouldn't have to and just like we've talked about with leo rush ach and you know pretty much you know any other black wrestler who gets painted with this brush of you know being uppity which i apologize for using that term because i know that it's very very fucking loaded but that's kind of the point um and like that he shouldn't have to he shouldn't have to overcome that bullshit and he should be able to just be as good as he is and get the respect that he deserves but he's not going to unfortunately he's just not going to and it's fucking bullshit and i 100 agree i agree with his opinion he was right that this was fucking bullshit the way that they treated him you know the way that they fucking present did this the moment that they finally like oh this is now our show uh we just want you to lose to our guy instantly like he said he carried the fucking company the fact that it's not even just asking him to lose the fact that he's been building up this character and i heard people mention like oh you know he had his shots to get over on tv and it didn't get over it's like yeah but they brought him in and they basically fucked over a really good build the build that took gresham from the television title to turning and joining jay lethal as a heel to building back up to being a baby face and turning you know on gresham on lethal to be a baby face to wanting to overcome you know lethal and then win the championship and become the standard bearer of the company and carry the flag of the foundation and roh on his back and bring that back was, honor that, to pure that was, wrestling that was, god like four years of, years yeah, four years of groundwork like yes like, and then to be like now we think that you should be a heel that was fucking bullshit yes, yes. yeah <laughs> for everything that we can say about jonathan Grush, like it's he was right to feel how he felt. But granted, you could also argue as fucking Claudio Castagnoli, which is a very fair argument as well. That's like, sure. that's, a, that's a great argument. That's Claudio Castagnoli. Like, we should do something with him. Alright. Fair point. I do understand the feeling slighted. And let's get out the way first. The match itself, despite all of that, is so fun. It's a really yeah. fun and good match that makes me wish, damn, what if we got more of this? That's that's a perfect pairing if you look at it on paper. Claudio versus Gresham. Claudio, this super this Superman like chiseled guy. Gresham, this like th- this this smaller technical technical savant. That's, that's that's perfect. Like a guy that can fly around, can get thro- can get thrown versus one of the greatest bases. This actually is such a perfect matchup. That you would wish that this like, whole like trilogy series or whatever, because that is perfect for each of their skill sets and what they bring to a professional wrestling match. In the fact, yeah, that's why I thought it was insane that people were acting like this was a bad matchup on paper, and that like there's no way that Grisham should win, dude. Because <laughs> on paper this is a great match, and Grisham has when has Grisham not been out outsized? Grisham's entire career is obviously because all of you motherfuckers liked are loving to make jokes about how short he is. You know that in every one of his wrestling matches, he's wrestling someone bigger than yes. him. So has he lost every match in his fucking career? No, because he knows how to but this, fucking but this, work. But, 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 but this is the whole thing, right? People pick and choose when these things matter. And ultimately, I understand that 
we are in a fictionalized genre of entertainment and being being able to immerse yourself or suspend your disbelief is a big part of that and size is a part of that right but i also come from the sports world and the combat sports world and no matter how many times i say this or someone points this out i always find it super interesting that the guys that are the most famous fighters in the world and have been over the last few years have all been guys probably around Jonathan Gresham's size. Maybe a yeah, tiny exactly. maybe a tiny bit bigger. But we're talking about Kamaru Usman, maybe five, five, nine, one one five nine, one seventy, Conor McGregor. Yeah, Usman I mean Usman and, and Grisham are probably built the same too, just yeah. like stacked muscle stacked muscle. Like if we're talking about yeah. Conor McGregor a fe- Conor McGregor a featherweight, Canelo Alvarez, Ryan Garcia, Javante Davis all these different guys across the combat sports world. GSP? Mm-hmm, that yeah. literally... Lloyd Mayweather. Like, like that are, yes. that are all... Yes, yeah. The, the, these are the top combat sports guys between MMA and boxing over the, over the last few years. And you still have people that will break through when, like, the heavyweight spectacles get a bunch of buys. not going to act like the Deontay Wilders and Tyson Furies or the Francis Ngannou's and Cyril, and Cyril, and Cyril Gane's, like, Aren't get aren't generating a bunch of revenue too because they are, but the people that have been carrying the combat sports world have been the smaller guys. So how come when it comes to professional wrestling, the smaller guys, guys of that stature, for some reason just have zero credibility? A lot of that has to do with wrestling and how wrestling has treated those kind of guys. And past. Vince McMahon, and Vince McMahon directly, what he's done yep. to uh, to create this stigma and uh, and perception. Of guy of guys of this size, but this is all fucking fictional. This is all fictional. Like the craziest people that I know are probably people around Jonathan Gresham's size. Like the people that I think would fucking kill somebody <laughs> are probably Jonathan Gresham, probably Jonathan Gresham's size. Like I don't know where this kind of and I get and I know I get it size differences matter weight weight classes matter for a reason weight classes exist for a reason I get it right that stuff is all fair and true but in a fictionalized form of entertainment you're allowed to tell whatever stories that you want to tell and Jonathan Gresham's whole career story has been I'm small but I'm really good at everything that it takes to be a wrestler I can pin you in so many different ways I can submit you in so many different ways I can fly I can do all this stuff when I'm a heel I can do all the I can do all the dirty heel tricks in the book as a baby face I'm super fiery he figures it out no matter what the role is and it he Matt he made sure that in this fictionalized form of entertainment that he had his bases covered for what he lacked I don't, and just on the skill set level, are you? I, I just can't believe. I just can't imagine not wanting to see a Claudio versus Gresham match. Like I just, can't, yeah. like, I can't even fathom that. No, it was, it was, it was a ridiculous take when I was like kind of seeing people saying that and like, oh, this is gonna look ridiculous. Like again, like you were saying, all that stuff. Like <laughs> it does, it's not gonna look ridiculous. It's gonna look great, and it did. <laughs> and Claudio, of all the fucking people on the planet, like one of the best like, bases like, of all time. Claudio, like, but the, the, this is the best base of all time. <laughs> yeah, this guy is just phenomenal. He can do it all. And the, okay, the deadlift, middle rope, inside or outside in, uh, Les Artest, Ron Artest lift, like, that was fucking wild, man. Like, what the fuck was that? Um, 
again, like that was such a cool, even though like it was very difficult, like of course it's going to be difficult, but it was nuts. And it was cool because it was Claudio taking something that he's been doing forever that, you know, the, the, the deadlift, um, superplex, but like Brian Cage did it earlier in the show. So let's take it and let's make it into my thing, which it's like, that's why it's the less our test lift when he does it. Right. Is because, uh, that's the, the famous, uh, uh, Swiss, amateur wrestler and then for most other people that you call it the Corellan roll or the Corellan lift um, Corellan throws right because uh, that's like kind of the more famous name but it's the connection to the Swiss because he's been known for doing that forever and so he like adapt I love that's the stuff I like I've always I say this a thousand times I love when you take like some weird trope and adapt it in a way that makes sense authentically for you and pull it off against a guy like like Gresham because he's able to do it to Gresham oh my god that's what wrestling's all about we got something cool and neat and unique and you wouldn't get it if it was Claudio going up against anybody else because they probably wouldn't be able to take the fucking move so yeah yeah why would you not want to see this match and it was great and that's the thing about Gresham. You can say whatever the fuck you want about him. You could say the boo-boo face when he came out here and he's not wearing the gear. And sure, all that's true. But when the bell rang, you didn't see Gresham dogging it. Yeah, he didn't. He, you didn't he, see he, Gresham not giving 100%. He didn't pull Aries. He didn't pull Austin Aries. He didn't, like, no. get, he didn't get pinned and got right back up immediately. Like, he, 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 did, he did what he was supposed to do. Um, he sold his ass off and had a great match. So... Here's the harder part about this conversation, right? Now, just based off Tony Khan, Tony Khan owns ROH. There's no reason that Jonathan Gresham just couldn't have had his own little fiefdom there in ROH and like continue to do what he continue to do what he was doing there. Like, I, I, like I see no reason why things had to go that way. It, um, and then it could, and then it couldn't have been more consideration for Gresham and what he's meant to Ring of Honor. Um. Do you think that is a like a cop out or like just a full of shit thing to say that like maybe Gresham has hit a ceiling? Like is like is that a, is that a is that a wrong assessment to make for as great as Gresham is and we both know him to be <sighs> like when I do GWE Fuck. when I do GWE like he's probably gonna make my list. I love Jonathan yeah. Gresham, but at the same time. Is it wrong to say that Gresham might have hit a ceiling and that there was going to be no higher level for him in terms of like a mainstream wrestling audience? Now, granted, again, you gave the Daniel Bryan example and the other people that have been successful that have uh, that have caught that have caught fire or Johnny Gargano isn't that isn't that much bigger than Jonathan Gresham, but Orange Cassidy, Orange, Orange Cassidy. But do you think it's complete like cop out bullshit to say that about Gresham or to think that about Gresham, or do you think that's more fair than you know, say some people might be giving it, might 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 be admitting? It's okay. This is really tough for me to say because I also have. I feel like Gresham has lost a step over the past like couple years. Yes. He's, gotten, um, he's like put, put, putting, so, putting on the mask to feel more like a credible yeah. guy. He's gotten older. Yeah, I still, I still stick with my my number one theory, which is that like he put on all that mask during the lockdown. He was wrestling only in ROH tapings, basically only doing like very limited travel and working like a couple weekends every now and then. He could handle it. And then now, like, any of a busier schedule than that and, and not having to just, like, work in the same place all the time is, like, 
difficult to deal with. Plus, this the rare and tear of being that large for you know this long, because um, he was never naturally that big. Like, it does make me say like, what is it? Or is he just getting older and it would have just been what it was? Yeah, at this like, point, he's what? I think he's born in the same year as Zach. Um, 1987, yeah. so he's got to be like 35 or going on 35. Yeah, he's yeah, 30, 34, the internet says here, 35, you know. Um, so, yeah, there is that part. So you say like, okay, well, how much can you really overcome when you're you're dropping off? And the Danielson comparison is fair because... Danielson has never really felt like he's dropped off, right? Mm. Like, at this point. So, it's just, it's but Danielson tough. Danielson also, like, a- for the points in which he was trying to put on mass, like, he did that when he was younger. Like, sure. and then as he got older, switching over to the vegan diet and getting slimmer to, to the point where he, like, to the point where he is now. Gresham waited until his 30s to put on muscle like that. Yeah, yeah, and he's doing really tough training. You know, obviously the the home gym is working out for both of them. Like, have you seen Jordan recently? Like, I just was watching. I was just doing an impact catch up. No, I haven't. And like, hold on, oh my god, she's like chiseled. Like, she's always been big, but dude, she is chiseled. The the kind of the 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 baby fat that she used to have around her face is kind oh, of all yeah, disappearing. Jesus. Yeah, Jesus she's Christ. very wow. Yeah, she's like really fucking tight when it comes to like yeah her physique so like it's i don't know i don't know what those two are doing but uh, it's obviously working for a certain kind of okay, look jesus, what you're going for jesus there christ wow <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah it's it's wild and she's still pretty she's still actually pretty good the 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 impact catch-up that i was doing recently was like damn like she's pretty there's a um shelly versus uh saban match that they just did that was really good um I mean, it wasn't great. I guess there's, like, some... I don't even know what the fucking joke is. They were saying, like, five-star classic. They were joking in the Slack about it. I don't know what the reference was, but I guess maybe someone went over the top giving that match five stars, which it did not deserve, but uh, it was good. And I thought the build and stuff was done really well. Um, Either way, so... But here's the thing. When you say ceiling, this is ceiling, like... The champion standard bearer of ROH is a pretty good ceiling. Right. So that's, that's what I'm saying. I could say maybe, maybe this is his ceiling, yeah. but, but that's what I'm, if this is pretty high. Right, but that's what I'm saying. Like, I feel like it wouldn't have been any sweat off Tony's back to like let him. And, and granted, we don't know. Like, for all we know, Gresham just could have been upset because he was losing in the first place. Like, we don't know what Tony actually said or what Tony pitched. Well, we, I don't. We don't know. Like, I don't know if it's come out. I know that that wasn't just the losing. Okay. I will say that. I know that that a big part of it was also the, the heel stuff. Okay, so the heel Grisham stuff. was not happy about being turned okay. heel. Okay, so let's say that, right? It was the, yeah. the, heels, the heel stuff and losing, right? But at the same time, I don't think it would have been much split off Tony's back to have an established guy and face of a familiar name with the Ring of Honor brand still there. Like I said, like, still have his own little fiefdom over there. Like... Maybe not be, but kind of like, do, kind of become what Jay Lethal became, and like a guy that's always sure. the guy that's like always around, could win the title, could win the title back, gonna be around facing the facing the newer talent, getting them over this like that, I and mean, just kind of became what Jay Lethal became. So that's why I'm kind of curious. Like, I don't think Tony Khan hates or doesn't get Gresham. 
I don't believe. I don't. No. I don't. I don't think that's the case. I think simplifying it to that is like it's it's kind of, it's kind of redundant. Like, could what happened? Could what happened to Gresham be bullshit? And Tony Khan not hate the guy? Like, I think so. <laughs> like, yeah, I think I think that Tony Khan one hundred percent had plans to keep Gresham around. Probably had plans to do stuff with probably, him. Probably do like. I was gonna say Go like, Will or Yuta is still a babyface, right? And we mentioned that maybe they could like, yeah. revisit Will or Yuta as a heel in Ring of Honor, but that's clearly not the plan. And I'm like, well, okay, you do this Will or Will or Will or Yuta and Daniel Garcia thing. If Gresham's a heel, isn't he like the perfect guy to pair with Will or Yuta, or yeah, of this, especially for the pure belt and whatever else, whatever else could be going on? So I don't think that it was just like a fuck like a fuck Gresham, Gresham shit can him thing I think there, there are obviously differences in creative and plans and what they each wanted to see happen but I also don't think that Tony Khan saw no value in the guy either no I think Gresham was really important to him and you know th- this is not something that I know for sure but I saw reports that said that Gresham was the first ROH contract that that Tony made Grisham was the most important. Now you could say, well, he's the champion. So, of course. But, I mean, still, on paper, the most important person to to it Tony Khan when it came it, to it, ROH. It, it, wasn't, it wasn't Bandito. Yeah, it wasn't the Briscoes. It was Grisham. So, you know, like, there is that. Also, you have to keep that in mind. That, like, Grisham was the first ROH contract that he wanted, that he signed. It was the most important person to him when it came to ROH. Um, again, th- he was the champion, so there is all of that. But you know, you can figure it out. Like you said, Bandito technically had claim to the championship as well. They could have done whatever. Um, so yeah, like I think that I think that Tony definitely wanted to do something with Gresham. I think that Tony definitely wanted to you know do right by Gresham and and respected him and all that. But I, Again, I think Grisham was very upset because of what we talked about. I mean, how many years of this storyline being built? And I just, I can understand, especially coming at it from the the standpoint of where Grisham is coming from and seeing what's happening here and basically assuming that, like, you can't trust that Tony Khan is going to do right by you because he's not showing it by coming in and disrespecting something that's that big and that long of a build like to just throw it all out the window instantly doesn't isn't a great sign to say that you are going to treat me with respect but that said i honestly would have probably assumed that tony would have done well with gresham but there's also plenty of people who say that he doesn't have the best track record and if he's not focused on people like you can kind of see how the booking gets and it gets lost and people disappear and all this stuff so Mm -hmm. i can't blame gresham for his reaction i really can't I think it does come back down to the, the the final verdict on all the whole thing does come down to the, the the most important thing when it comes to all of this is Tony Khan is a billionaire. Fuck billionaires. And it's cool when wrestlers tell their bosses to fuck off. Of course. <laughs> that's cool. It's a cool thing. It's so cool. that's it's the cool. final it's answer, cool. right? At the same time. Okay, so so Impact would seem like an obvious landing spot for him um, if, he, if, he, if, he, if, he, sure. if he continues to wrestle. But it's just a disappointing thing because if that's the case, he will never be a WWE guy. We know that. So this was like, other than Impact, which we don't, we, we don't know if that bridge has been crossed or if that will be crossed. But this felt like the last chance for a for Gresham in a major wrestling capacity. 
maybe he goes to New Japan strong and becomes a star junior or something. Goes to Japan, does whatever, DDT, tries that. Im- uh, impact, whatever else. But, it, but this felt like the last inroad to Gresham finally getting that kind of like real mainstream star treatment and recognition. Maybe not one of the biggest stars in the world or in the company, whether it was AW proper or Ring of Honor. But this felt like that last inroad there. And as a Gresham fan, it's like, cool, he told he told Tony Khan to fuck off, that's great. But it worries me because I'm like, well shit. Was that the like that was that the last chance? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's fucked up. It's very tough. I I know I can understand. I'm aware of Grisham being upset, especially because this does put him in a bad situation where he dropped his leverage. Because before he signed a contract with, you know, Tony Khan and ROH and all this, like, he did have other offers and good offers for Impact, you know, Japan. Multiple companies in Japan, obviously, are interested in him. Um, and, and and he turned all that down and took this. So then now when you have a big public break, you know, blow off and you, you openly quit, you don't really have the same leverage to get the same level of contract, right? Yes. Like, so, yeah, he can go to the other places, but he can't really negotiate from a place of power when it's kind of you're coming there looking for a job, even if he deserves it. So here's the thought that just popped in my head. I mean, why can't we have MJF and Gresham come back together as a team? (laughs) (laughs) You know what? (laughs) That's an awesome idea. That's what we need. A lot of the audience might not might not know who Gresham Gresham is if they did it in, on on AWCV. So it'd be relying on MJF hyping up Jonathan Gresham, and the visual of MJF talking about how great Jonathan Gresham is would actually be very funny. Yes, yeah, I would love that. But no, I mean, yeah, like I I get where you're coming from. It's a really tough situation, um, and we've got yeah, we've got. We've got a guy who, you know, like wrestling doesn't owe you anything or whatever, like people say, but like a really great wrestler who I think his talent should be respected and should be appreciated, but we'll see. There's, again, there's plenty of places for him to land in Japan. Um, I think even like with the kind of foreigners Noah has been bringing in, I think he fits right in and they just got space for another foreigner. (laughs) Um, You got DDT, obviously he's got the connections. We haven't talked about that, Um, like... Yeah, you know, you know what? Never mind. <laughs> I just, hey. I just, uh, hey, felt a little weird seeing. No, nah, no, I'm cool. I'm cool on this. Yeah, I think Jeff Cobb, Jeff Cobb summed it up the best in that that press conference when he talked about the the people who are stealing protein. Uh, you know, <laughs> that's the. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, there's places for him to land, but again, his leverage is fucked, and he's not gonna. Not gonna get the what he deserves, yeah, but we'll I don't see. Know. Like him, him, Gresham versus Josh, Josh Alexander, and maybe better in, yeah. in better circumstances. Like I, I'm, I'm into that. That can be that can that can be fun. Uh, Speedball is over in is over an impact. If Gresham, oh, those guys have had they, so many great matches. Yeah, yeah. like a, you know what? There, there's stuff. There's stuff out there. Um, so we'll see. But yeah, like I said, as a, as a Gresham fan, it's just concerning. So. 
Hopefully. Well, you're going to tell me Triple H won't want to sign Gresham? I mean, <laughs> that's another thing. Like, honestly. I don't, I don't think so. Uh, yeah, I know. I know. Anyways, next match on the show. Uh, <laughs> Jesus Christ. Uh, damn, we are super... Wow. Okay, that took that took a while. Yeah. Um, yeah. And there's a lot, really, on this show to talk about, really, tr- honestly. That's what, so that's what I'm thinking. Uh, like, let's... Let's be through this the best that we can, but yeah. Uh, actually, I want to go. I want to go. I want to go in reverse. I want to go back to the main event. So let's, okay, let's, let's, uh, let's yeah, do so that. Let's get that out the way first. Let's talk about the things we have more to say. Uh, FTR versus Briscoes two, two out of three falls. Uh, a wonderful segments and vignettes in hype packages for this. Some of the best work in wrestling in wrestling this year. Build it, building this match. Dax Harwood's pro Dax Harwood's promo talking about fight like an eight year old girl. Wonderful, incredible stuff. And the match lived up to every single bit of that. These two have these two teams have incredible understandings of why intensity is so key to pacing and structuring matches like this. Because when you're going to go long, you do need to set the tone. And setting the tone with the kind of intensity that, that there are with their opening sequence wrestling with how intensely they tie up, they lock up, they hit each other, the uh, aggression, toughness that they bring to that, to the, to that basic stuff is tone setting and makes that, it makes that opening act that much more engaging when you fill it with that kind of stuff. So the selling was wonderful to see Brist to see FTR go full baby face, like faces in peril type shit was incredible and goes to and, and as a testament to as we said these two just understand pro wrestling they fundamentally understand it and that didn't just mean watching midnight express they meant watching the fantastics and rotten the rock and roll express just as much and they understood how to be those kind of baby faces as well and dax was uh incredible being kind of the lead guy and some of the, and some of this stuff, the face in peril, the guy getting his chest chopped open, cash and being the more athletic guy, being a great hot tag. I love the way they structured it and seeing the Briscoes lean into more heelish stuff since they're the more desperate of the two teams here. And one one thing, they build to the shatter machine, uh, or a big rig as they call it now. They always build to that so well. Like I knew it was coming as they were running the ropes and setting and setting it up. But still, it's like waiting for it so eager. Like, yes, fuck yeah, they finally hit it. And I love how they pace it and set it up. And even going down to the last fall, which I love how they did this too. Because when you go to typical two out of three falls format, it's usually kind of a fluky, uh, a fluky fall in there somehow for uh, for one of the teams. Whether it's the heel side or the face side, it's kind of a heat... Uh, uh, a fluky went a fluky one in there, and then they saved the finish or the actual finishing move for the last fall. They used the big rig for the second fall, and then Cash and Mark go fucking flying through that table in a insane spot, and it leaves Dax it leaves Dax and Jay, and to leave it with them, one I think is indicate ind- ind- indicative of I think Dax Harwood maybe. Eventually, not breaking up the team, but he's he's he should be on to better things at some point. 
And two, it was just like a really good subversion of how they usually do these type of matches. To leave it to Dax Harwood and Jay and not just coming coming down to this big flurry of tag team offense or tag team moves, these guys had to figure out how to put each other away when their when their partners are down. I thought was I thought was great. I love it. I'm not sure I think it's better than uh than their first match. I think it's a lot different and it builds off of it. But just incredible stuff and as good as it sounds on paper, they delivered it in reality just as much. Incredible in every sense of the word. Yeah. They need to wait a while, but I think and I I'm sure Simon said this. I don't know I don't remember if he did hundred percent, but just to give him credit in case he did. Uh, that they need to build to the next one. It needs to be not the next pay-per-view, but it needs to be down the road. They need to do ladder war to blow this yes, off. Absolutely. Um, yeah, like that's the only way that makes sense. The Briscoes, obviously. I, I don't really respect or acknowledge any ladder war that doesn't include the uh, Briscoe or uh, Steen and Generico. Those are the only ladder wars that technically count. They have to either have a Briscoe in them or have a you know, Steen or Generico in there. Um, so yeah, like those are the only teams that truly, or those are the only people who truly embody this, the ethos of the ladder war. Everything else is just a glorified ladder match. Um, the color, man, they waited until, I think it was like, they didn't, nobody got any juice until like the third fall. Maybe it was like in the middle of the second fall or towards the end, but like, (laughs) yeah, but then you got fucking sectuple juice. You got not even just like double juice. You got fucking, quad juice plus the ref bl- uh, bleeding like you got you got the, the yeah the the big time fucking everybody bleeding um so that's fantastic but yeah you waited and you built and just like you're talking about the story thing about it and i don't know how intentional it was based on these four and how smart they really are when it comes to wrestling um i think they understood that there was no way that they could have a match the same as their first match because I I think that if I just look at it purely based on like the wrestling, just the in ring, I might say that I like this match more. But the first match had so much buzz, felt so special, was so on the edge of the seat for everything because it was such a weird situation. And the crowd was insanely hot. It was WrestleMania weekend, so there was so much else going on. You were in wrestling mode. You know, you're, I was coming off of seeing the match of the year earlier in the day between Biff Busick and, and Moxley. Like, it was just, it was a wrestling zone. It was wrestling, like, personified. Everything was fucking just hitting in all cylinders. That there's no way that you could, like, cr- duplicate that experience truly so like that match was great and i loved the way that it was set up and it's funny because all that stuff that i just said i think really added to the buzz to the match to where i've heard people like giving their recollections which obviously people's memories are very bad like in general people don't have the greatest memory like people giving the memory of being like saying like oh i felt like you know the first match was just all go 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 there was no like there was no pacing there was no and it's like that's not true. <laughs> the first match was phenomenal, 
because it had like a lot of really great stalling and pacing and then there was a transition where the switch flipped and the briscoes went heel and the tone of everything changed but there was like clear delineations and there was storytelling that went across like with the ebbs and the flows of the match that worked into the 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 kind of the like i said the, the briscoes going like teasing going heel and then pretty much going fully heel and then the way that everything went like but but because of the buzz and because of the setting and because of everything else that was going on there's people who like their memory of the match was that it was just like all energy nonstop, which it was it was all energy nonstop. but a lot of that energy was coming from the crowd a lot of that energy was coming from you know the setting and this match didn't quite have that this crowd was not great this was a weird crowd um i've heard live reports from people saying that like actually the crowd was phenomenal so part of it is kind of like maybe the miking was bad i think the production might have not been good which again can't blame tony he's trying to stay true to the the history of roh by having bad crowd miking that's like roh staple everyone knows that production in roh is bad like like that's how tony it works does, tony, so tony actually does respect ring of honor yeah exactly he really is trying to be true to the history of ring of honor um so yeah like the crowd miking, I think, was bad. The, the 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 like that kind of did not help. So yeah, but like really on just not on paper, but really just like move for move, spot for spot, the length. I like a long match like this with the build and everything that as it goes and the drama, and like the build for the two straight. I thought was great. Like I really was fucking into it. I was so emotionally invested. I was really pissed off when the Briscoes didn't win the second fall. You know, like. That, that all that drama and everything that was going on there really like helped build up the match so again everything you said there was true the way that they told the story going through the the the, the visual pinfalls i thought were great because they really add to continuing on this story the briscoes got the first pin right so they evened it up so you can still basically say like th- if this was just regular wrestling we're one and one we beat you the match would have been over then you, again you've got the second that's what they also did well is that the first fall the briscoes win so now you're now you're even you're one to one the next fall the ftr wins and then the briscoes get a visual pinfall so you've still got it like i said on the books that these guys are even and the briscoes would have won and then you went to another visual pinfall for ftr and then finally ftr gets the win blah blah blah. so you've got arguments for both ways but you've still got that spot to say we need to do this. We need to lock it up again. But I do think that there needs to be a break. <laughs> I don't want this to be the only fucking tag team match that ROH runs. You know what I mean? I want to see something else here. So hopefully they build to it. Final battle, maybe. Yeah, I don't should, know if they're going to do another pay-per-view yeah, before then. But There's plenty, like, plenty to do here. Plenty AW tag teams to pull from. Like plenty of, like If they wanted to do FTR versus Nonsense Forever, there's like no excuse. Like, eh, no, why not? Why not? Why, why, why not? Like, if you're looking for TV deals, or that can be that can, yeah. that can be a defense. Uh, you know, Kevin Koo's name is becoming a becoming more of more of a thing, and Dom. Like, it's weird to say that it's weird to think that Kevin is the more known of the two guys at yeah. this point. But like, that's probably the case. But like, and that'd be really dope. I think there's plenty that you could do with FTR to like fill the time. Of course, with the with their AW stuff going on too. Until you get to a point where, all right, let's do Briscoe's FTR again. Let's do let's do ladder wars. Yeah, I think you can build to it. Like I said, you can get there. Um, and 
And I mentioned it earlier, but, you know, again, I don't know that it's impossible that Tony doesn't know about <laughs> the Brad Stutz when he's got Scott Dawson here. Uh, Dax Hardwood. Uh, what's it? Uh, what's his? Uh, Casey Knight. Casey McKnight. You know, like, uh, there is that connection. So, I don't know. I mean, we'll see. Maybe FTR becomes the uh, becomes the, the leaders of the pack here in, in ROH. Um, and that's this is the other part of it. I've been harping on this. I bring it up all the fucking time on these pay-per-views, you know, from the beginning of AEW. Tag teams can main event. And what do we get here? The main event on the pay-per-view is a tag team. It's FTR. FTR versus the Briscoes. It's ROH, but tag teams can main event, you know? So finally, I get I get what I've been talking about. Um, all right, semi-main event. You ready to move on? ROH television title Samoa Joe versus Jay Lethal uh this surprisingly well not surprisingly I think they're like for as good of, of, a, of a treat this is on a novelty level and a nostalgia level uh I didn't have super high expectations for this going in thought it could be fun and it was and it was fun but then I felt like maybe it went a little too long like a couple minutes a couple minutes too long but for the intensity that I had at first and Joe kicking the shit out of Jay Lethal and the, way, and, the way, and the way they worked it, I was real. I was really into it for the for the majority of it. And eventually, they lost me a little bit, but I don't have a ton to say there. Like it was fun, more, yeah. maybe more fun than I expected it to be, but then eventually, kind of like came down to reality. Fun was a good a good way to describe it. They did a couple neat little teases of stuff that like you could get into as a a legacy fan. Um, that said. I think that they could have gone a lot grittier and played off the history between each other a little bit more with the aggression. Um, it felt like they did the opening brawl, pre-match brawl stuff, and they thought that that was enough to like try to sell the story of this being a tough fight. But this really felt like a toned-down Samoa Joe. Like, obviously, this is not Joe. <laughs> you know, this is not... ROH champion Joe. This is not Necro versus Samoa Joe. Joe. This is not that guy. But comparatively, the violence and the aggression from Joe felt toned down compared to what we've seen from him enough to where this was a situation where it would have made sense to have seen it because of, like I said, the backstory and because of the history of these two and the connection because they're so close. They're so, they, you know, they have so much between them and there's animosity and all that. Um, and it really felt like after the opening brawl, the match was just a pretty basic match. That said, yeah, they could have cut a few minutes. They could have especially cut a few minutes if they cut the them from uh, Lethal's control segments. Um, those are the minutes that I would have cut. Um, and, uh, and yeah, that's, I think that's pretty much it. I think that Joe... Like you said, fun, definitely very fun. And Joe settling into this kind of old man run, um, I actually really love because he's able to pull off stuff, even things like the Tope Suicida, um, but he's just off enough to where it really adds a little bit something to it. I think I think if we get enough of like grumpy old man Joe, he's probably, and you know, whatever. 
this might be overstepping something, but I think he could probably be the best grumpy old man kind of guy that we've gotten since like Jumbo if he really was able to like do it. And it feels like they're going to let him do it and he can and he can pull it off. He's able to do like I said he's able to do all the old stuff, but he's also able to sell that like it's taking it out of him and uh, better than really we've seen a lot of people do. I mean, I mean, it probably goes like Jumbo and then old man Cena and then old man Joe and that's kind of the the best grumpy old man performances. I just wish I just wish that we got a little bit more. I wish we were getting some real premium grumpy old man Cena right now because uh, he was really developing into being very good at that. Um, we haven't had a lot of great grumpy old men yet, you know. Or we haven't had a lot of great grumpy old men in a while. Um. So I know this isn't the this isn't the same order. I'm just going going in things of what you feel. I probably we had the, we don't the most to say about. Sure, uh, sure. Okay, let's go. Willow Yuta versus Daniel Garcia. Oh, um, I would have thought you would have gone to Grush, the Russian Dragon Lee, oh, but I mean, no, like it was fun, super fun. Like, yeah, I guess I guess that you're right. There's not a lot to say. Yeah, like, like um, it was cool. Like it was cool. I guess like we don't we don't get to see that. Like that's like that's not a common thing. They don't they weren't going around like Phoenix and Pentagon wrestling each other before people knew before people knew they were related. <laughs> yeah, like, and so. For again, yeah. novelty. It was cool as hell. It was a fun. It was fun. They beat the shit out of each other. Dragon Lee took some of the same bumps, and I just see some people not liking it. But it was super fun. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. I might have it as my second favorite match in the night. Uh, honestly. I agree with you. Like, um, but again, but again, yeah. it's like <laughs> there's not much in the way. It of, was like, like what else is there to yeah, say? Like a breakdown yeah. of it because it really was just like, hey, here are these two brothers. They're gonna wrestle each other. It's like, oh, cool. Then they had a really good. And they had a really good match. Yeah, Yuda and Garcia, um, great, a really interesting metatextual thing where, again, like the pure rules playing into it, but it's tough because just watching the match, I think, was phenomenal, but you needed, you needed the regal commentary to truly appreciate the story of the the pure rules making sense with regal talking about that everyone in the blackpool combat club doesn't want you to doing any rope breaks uh they if you know and they want him to prove that he can like get through this he needs to be able to escape submission holds and that really added to the narrative of the match and you're not getting that if you're not hearing the the commentary i'm um, sorry about that uh go ahead so when i was watching it through whatever means i was watching it through um the player I was using at first um, played it in the Spanish audio track. So um, so when I watched it, I was like, oh, yeah, no, shit. All right, fine. I guess I'll watch it. I'll watch it in Spanish. Um, and I was like, yeah, you know, what? let me just try uh, VLC and see if there's like a different audio track. I was like, oh, there's the English. So my experience watching this was in Spanish. So I didn't get the William Regal on commentary. Uh, yeah. Helpful stuff. So yeah, so like I said, like I think that probably that experience was fine, but I think that that added like narrative to it was like I said, metatextual thing that's kind of tough because the history of the pure championship has been you know kind of obviously very interesting. Like the people who are really good at it definitely take certain skills about using the rules, um, using the rules to their advantage and and making making it. Makes sense. I like I like 
people who go over the top with the, like exploiting the rules. I like stuff like this where you're kind of like bowing to the rules in a certain way. Like saying like, oh, you don't want to use any rope breaks is like a weird way of subverting the rules, I guess. Um, I also thought that Garcia was was phenomenal. Well, maybe one of the best ever at working the kind of the the guy who is like being the heel of the pure style because you get some people who do it and they're just really blatant about being just a brawler who doesn't make sense in a pure setting but garcia is like i'm i'm very good at this but i also disrespect it and so i'm gonna like really push the limits of this i'm going to do like take some cheap shots like throwing you around into the barricades outside like after having a really cool like back and forth using like straight straight jacket uh chokeholds and all the counters like the world of sport you know counters of all that stuff um to then like respond to that by doing like throwing him around in the barricades great then getting into the ear work starting here's the thing about the ear work the ear work is great but he kicked it off by biting which i think is great because it's just like really again being the 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 pure rules bully being the 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 guy who who does not respect the pure rules and is going out of his way to to really piss on the pure rules by just like not holding up the code of honor, not following the rules, cheating, you know, everything short of throwing a closed fist punch, basically. Uh, Garcia was just like, fuck all this bullshit. And I really, I thought that he's one of the best that we've seen do it, honestly. Um, and this is the kind of matchup and the way to present it that, like, is what makes this kind of stuff work, makes the pure rules thing work. Like, this is the thing. It really drives me fucking up a wall when I hear the people who talk about this stuff. They talk about cage matches. They talk about the shark cage from, like, the, the, the Shark Week barbed everywhere match thing. They talk about, like, um, blood and guts or war games. They talk about Hell in a Cell and how, like, oh, oh, it's such bullshit. They break the rules. And, oh, you know, if you're in a cage match, you're not supposed to get out. And what's the point of the cell if you end up on the roof? And it's like, every fucking... What's the point of the shark cage if they just get out of the shark cage and they end up interfering? It's like, that's how wrestling has always worked. The first cage match, someone got out of the cage. Yeah, right? that's, that, that's, like, this what, is that's, documented. What, that's what heels do. Like, just kind of like... Yeah, that's the fucking point, right? Like... You break the rules, yeah, and you, you break you, the you, rules. You're like you're kind of losing the suspense of the heel getting to come up and stuff. It's just like, oh shit! Like he's gonna stay in there. <laughs> like, yeah, oh, he just followed. Oh, he just followed yeah, the rules, just, and it's just, over. He, shit. He, he okay. Just kind of okay with that. Oh, all right, cool. Yeah, but people don't fucking get it. They really don't. Like people who talk about the code of honor and oh, it's such bullshit. They shake hands before the match. It's like the code of honor. The whole fucking point was that from the very first show. The prophecy in Christopher Daniels refused to shake hands. The point of having rules in wrestling is for the bad guys to break the rules. Like, I'm sorry, but the people who that I hear and they complain about people getting out of the cage match or there's still, like, interference in the cage match, it's like, I'm sorry, but you think that you're being old school and wrestling purist, but you're actually being the opposite. Because wrestling purist and the old school, the way that wrestling works, if you've actually been paying attention, is that from the beginning... They come up with rules, and the bad guys break the fucking rules. That's how wrestling works. So, Garcia being the guy who's flouting it in the rules, he doesn't like the rules, and then you have the hardcore, goody-two-shoes, babyface, 
Yuta, who's not only going to follow the rules, but he wants to overachieve within the rules and say, I'm not even going to use a single rope break. I'm only allowed three, but I'm going to use none of them. But then there is the wrinkle that he wins the match with the seatbelt, which this is the thing that fucking kills me, man. This pin, when uh, Drago used to use it in Lucha Underground, I always have been trying to figure out what the fucking name of this move is. Um, they called it the Dragon's Lair when he was doing it. And then they call it the seatbelt here. And I don't know like what the official real name of the move is but i've always if anyone knows the name of that pinning combination if the seat belt is like the real thing or whatever but like i've i've always wanted to know but yeah they made that into a big part of the storyline and it's so funny because it really like rubs in my face that i've been trying to figure out the name of this pinning combination forever um but yeah he gets the win with the seat belt which is the move that he learned from chuck taylor and they made a big deal out of that so with everything else of being the good boy and not using any rope breaks and following everything that Blackpool Combat Club wants from him, he still ends up winning with a best friend's move. Um, so yeah, like perfect, perfect storytelling in wrestling right here. Um, anything else? <laughs> oh, no, I, like I mentioned, like I watched it in Spanish, so like I, I, I didn't get some of the bits, and I probably will go back and rewatch it now that you said that Regal was on commentary doing stuff about that. But I thought, I thought it was really good, and I think is it's a good building block for for this. I think Tony is very clearly not. You know, like going all, no, not going all in yet on telling the story between Wheeler and Garcia as they should be generational foes and have more matches together this year for sure for the belt, but also like down the line building around AEW. Like these should be guys that are like paired at the hip. And like when you think of Wheeler Yuta, you think of Daniel Garcia. Like that's that, that I in a perfect world, that's how things are going forward in AEW. So like, I thought for their first real encounter in that universe that this was really good, but it was clear that they that there was more there still. Yeah, that's definitely fair. There's still a lot to go. You barely push the you barely scratch the surface. As I said, Yuta didn't even use a single rope break, which has to be a big part of this story moving forward. Um, yeah, and and I think that you're right. These guys perfectly should be like yeah generational rivals all-time like uh all-time kind of growing up together going from the bottom to the top together coming from the indies together into the company all of it yeah um women's title match do you have any thoughts very very good very solid um it, w- it was nice to see like not that they were super hot for it but it was nice to see that i thought the crowd was like perceptive to the match and like into it well well this crowd was like we talked about the crowd was miked poorly and the reactions were tough to read so they seemed like you said just as up for this as anything Mm -hmm. else so it's it it seemed like they were up they were up for it and that that was that was that was nice to see because mercedes Mercedes martinez uh has worked hard to earn that and uh i don't know hard to say good words about deeb because i'm pretty sure she dates girl or something so Uh, i think they're i think they're married yeah yeah so (laughs) you know kind of weird to say good things about Serena Deeb. Uh, but, yeah, I thought, I, thought, I thought this was really good. And I want to see more. I want to see them wrestle more. Um, I wouldn't mind. I, obviously, there's a more expansive roster out there for them to uh, dabble, for, for them to dabble with. And someone like Willow Nightingale should be getting built up to maybe be the champion of this division one day. But for the time being, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mind seeing more of these, these two together. 
Yeah, I thought that they 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 have phenomenal chemistry with each other. They feel like two in like top level athletes. They made the championship feel like it's something worthwhile. You know what I mean? Like they didn't. They added a lot of credibility to the title because of what they were willing to put themselves through for this. How hard they were willing to fight. How how vindictive, how aggressive, how brutal they were willing to be, especially on the in the case of Deeb. I mean, you know, we see Deeb on AEW constantly be like very you know violent and and you know Deeb is really really good at like facially selling her her own. Uh, offense, which is like, you know, underrated skill, but it definitely helps put over your stuff, no matter who you're wrestling, like making your own shit look really good. Um, and so, yeah, it really adds to the stature and the importance of the title. And, and as you said, I'd love to see them continue to do this because they feel like the top, the top of the roster. They feel like the top of the, of, of women's wrestling in general, insanely aggressive. Everything looks snug. Everything looks like it hurts. You know, it's one of those kind of matches where just, this is tough as fucking shit, and they're kicking the fuck out of each other. They're stretching each other out. They're you know going at it hard, and again that that just makes the title feel so much more important when you see people willing to do this to each other and to themselves to win it. Um, a great tone to set for making this title feel important. Um, so yeah, and I I agree with you a hundred percent. Like this, it's tough to want to say positive things about Deeb. Not even just. That she's dating scroll, but she's doing scroll esque stuff like the uh, double mounted arm ringer. This is just like a, a uniquely leaders of the new school kind of spot. Those two would do that shit constantly. So seeing her doing that, where she's riding on the back and she's got the two arms and the surfboard thing, it's like ah, I don't need to see that from you. But whatever. <laughs> Again, it is what it is. I I, I don't want to judge somebody for their partner, especially don't want to judge a woman <clears throat> for her partner. That's her personal <clears throat> life. But I know, I know, I know. <laughs> I know it's it's definitely but you know in my heart I'm a feminist so I don't love the idea ever of like you know judging a woman based on who she who she decides to date um so yeah I think the Deeb is a phenomenal wrestler I think that she really was perfect in this role and uh yeah these two really fucking brought it here and just you know this is what women's wrestling can really be <laughs> you know like this is this is what what we deserve to see from women's wrestling because this is not this is not a step down from anything else in the like honestly this is like in the top three matches of the night really yeah, if you, if you, if you, know, if you maybe, made a case for that then I don't think it'd be like out of place at all yeah exactly I mean there's a ton of ton of great stuff but that's I mean that's probably it this is, we haven't talked about the trios match I don't really care to talk about it that yeah, much yeah, the boys fine. and and Dalton Castle win it's fine. Um, the Righteous looked okay. Dutch and, and Bateman, I think, deserve contracts, but I don't know what the deal is. Vincent, I can live, you know, I can do without. I don't care. Um, he's fine. He, I don't. He's not like a turn the TV off kind of guy like he has been in the past. But, uh, yeah. But um, that said, the show overall, I think, is what I really wanted to talk about. This breezed by. Mm. I thought it had too many matches, honestly. When I looked at it on paper, I was like, there was too many matches here. But then when we actually got the show, I think it breezed by. I think it that long. Yeah. Well, like, stuff got time. But, like, well, but part of this is obviously Gresham and Claudio going, like, 11 minutes. Yeah. But, like, everything, sure. got, everything got time. And the only thing that, the thing, the thing that felt the most important, other than the world title and the situation surrounding that. But the thing that was the most sure. important on this show went, no, that got the most time. And even that felt like a breeze. 
Yeah. No, that flew by. By the time we were hitting the 40-minute mark and we're in the third fall, I was like, oh, they could go to the time limit and this would be great, yeah. honestly. You know, it would be perfectly fine. Like, they could have gone another, you know, 20 minutes or whatever and it still would have been fine, but they didn't. But yeah, yeah. Everything breezed by. Nothing felt like it took too long. And that's a breath of fresh air compared to the other AEW pay-per-views, which if people have been listening to us... Been listening long enough they've heard me every aew pay-per-view my main takeaway has been too goddamn long and they could have cut a bunch of stuff and i would not say that here yeah, no yeah so it's the, all right quentin <laughs> i think yes yeah, like, <laughs> like so tony is aware of it on some level but <laughs> yeah right he knows how he knows what to do he just doesn't know how to do it when he's I mean, it's got to be tough, right? It's tough for even, like, guys like Ian Rotten booking shows with, like, you know, random nobodies who anyone cares about, right? To tell them, like, actually, you can't go as long as you want. I know I booked a comedy show, and I would always want to just tell people, yeah, do whatever you want. Just go as long as you want, you know? And it was nice because I didn't have to worry about cutting time or anything like that. But, yeah, it's, it's tough to think that you're going to tell people, like, oh, you've only got this much time and, like, you know like really get on people like tell cm punk that he can only go 20 minutes or whatever like are you really gonna do that you know but uh but maybe in roh he feels a little bit more like he can tell these guys to cut it down but also i mean everyone that he that he booked here were people who know how to just have like like bangers right is that a is that the you're not allowed to say banger you're supposed to say hoot or i mean i say banger, uh, but I, who, who i like god damn who feels like too like definitively like southern graps for me for me to use it sure so, like sure I'll, I'll just i'll say i say banger instead i'll say a banger yeah i always think of like a club banger right like that kind of song so i'm just like <laughs> yeah, yeah that makes sense you know what i think like the makes first sense. person i heard say, heard say that was chris hero when describing a wrestling match yeah you know what i was like you know what i'm, I'm like that so anything that yeah for sure like oh, what chris hero what chris hero uh wants to call matches like that i'm fine with that I'm into it. All right, Quentin. Um, what else do we got to talk about tonight? I think nothing. I usually like to tease and pretend like we're going to talk about something else, but there's nothing else. Uh, Stardom. <laughs> you want to talk about Stardom? I didn't get to see uh, Siri versus Tam. Versus Tam. Uh, oh. Well, did you see the uh, the three-way casket match? What? No. Hold on. There was a three-way casket match. What? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I'm going to have to, to watch that. Um, I think it was a Tall Scion, was it, was it, Starlight Kid... Was, was, and the the Grim Reaper. Wow. Okay. We'll have to, we'll have to yeah. look for this. Uh, <laughs> I, I I don't think either of us saw Alex Shelley versus Chris Saban. Uh, I I talked about it earlier. I oh, saw you did it. See it. Yeah, you did see it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's Impact. What the fuck, man? <laughs> I I told you I've been watching Impact, man. It's good. I, I know, but still, like. All right. <laughs> but I think I think I think we're good. So. Uh, I think if you can uh, follow me on Twitter at QT underscore Moody, you can follow Tim at Bone Dog's Wife, or you can follow the podcast network at WDKWPN on Twitter. And if you're feeling as so generous to do so, why don't you, if you don't mind, donate to the site's coffee account so we can all take a group trip to Abu Dhabi uh, for Fight Island, apparently. Uh, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm not sure. I'm not sure who's going to want to go. Uh, might just be me and Tim. Uh, we'll see. We'll see what's good. I'm about to fight island. But uh, thank you all for listening, and hope you're here next time.
restrain. 